Hi. <laughs> uh, it is so good to now see you in uh, worship today here in church. Uh, it's good to be with you uh, as in our time together here as we praise God, celebrate God through song, through the reading of scripture, and now through some things that I wrote about Jesus that I'm going to share with you. Um, it is, um, oh, let me go here. Uh, if we haven't met before, let me introduce myself. My name is Johnny. Uh, I serve as the lead pastor here at First Methodist Mansfield for this community, The Well uh, and The Well Cafe. Um, it is uh, such a joy to be with you each and every week. Uh, and if we haven't met before, if you're new here, I would love the chance to meet you after service. I will be standing uh, down here in the chapel. Uh, to So if you have time afterwards, I'd love to meet you. Pastor Lauren will be upstairs uh, in the cafe uh, in the front of the, uh, the venue there. Uh, so if you're new. Uh, stop by and see her. If you have your Bible and you want to look on at the scripture that we have for today, that's going to be on the screen. If you're going to use one of the blue ones in our spaces, the, the page number is up there as well. This is week three of our series called Seeds of a Better Life. Uh, in this series, we're hoping to engage uh, this desire that we all have for a better life, right? It's something that we all, in a, in a way, are pursuing, something that we desire. Nobody desires uh, and intentionally pursues uh, a dull life, or a meaningless life, or a boring life, or a wasted life. Nobody wants a worse life. Everybody wants a better life. But the question is, is what does that look like? What is better? What is it that we pursue? What is it that guides and directs our lives toward what is better? Well, what we saw in Psalm 1 there is this ancient Jewish wisdom that there has been passed down for centuries, that there are basically two ways Right? There's the way of the righteous, uh, the way of the blessed, right? which is uh, what we are referring to as the better life. There's also the way of the wicked, which we might call a wasted life. And as we examine that and in, in the dichotomy that that sets up, the two ways, we notice that there's a great difference. One, the, the wasted life, the wicked life, is empty and it is lifeless and it is dried up and it is blown about by the wind. But the blessed life, the better life, is one that is rooted and planted in good soil. It is sturdy and can weather storms and bears good fruit. For the remainder of this series, what we're going to be doing is lifting up three specific seeds to plant in our lives that might blossom and grow and produce good fruit for the better life. Last week, Pastor Lauren introduced the first of those seeds, which is our beliefs, and more importantly, our beliefs about God. Our beliefs are the stories that govern our life's story. They're the narratives that we have internally that help guide and direct our lives. And the narratives that we have, the beliefs that we have about God, are the most important ones that we have. So Pastor Lauren shared with us that the truths that we hold on to about God can be a significant source of strength and courage for us during times of trouble and pain, but if the beliefs that we hold on to about God are distorted, then they might actually hinder our growth and potentially lead to the pain and trouble that we hope to avoid. Our beliefs are important and essential to the better life, but they aren't the only thing. They alone cannot produce that good and better life that we hope for. So this week, we're going to be talking about another seed to plant in our lives. We're going to be talking about practices. If that sounds familiar, like a viral video, you know, press conference of a famous basketball player talking about practice, not a game, right? That was actually 15 years ago today, May 7th, 2002. Hmm, there you go. There you have it. 
The truth is, I don't like practice either. <laughs> Practicing stinks, right? I don't think anybody likes practice. If you've ever done anything that is required practice, that's required training to do, you know it stinks. Doing the actual thing is awesome and fun. Playing in the game is great. Playing in a performance or, you know, if you were in marching band or a play, whatever. Doing the thing is great, but getting ready for the thing is not as great. It's not fun. So whether it's a sport, an instrument, lines for your play, uh, learning a new language, whatever. If we want to get good at something, it requires us to practice. There's no way around it. We can't avoid it. We're not born with it. We're not just going to accidentally be good at things. And it doesn't happen instantly either. You can ask my parents when middle school Johnny decided to go out for band and the instrument that he decided he wanted to play was the saxophone. And it sounded like something was dying in the back room all the time because you can't, it's just squeaking and squealing and awful noise. It doesn't happen. You can't avoid it. You cannot avoid it. If you want to be good at something, it's going to require practice. Anne Voskamp uh, wrote a book called 1,000 Gifts. And in that book, she says, practice is the hardest part of learning. And training is the essence of transformation. We know that. We know that being a good athlete is not simply about what you do on the court or on the field or on the ice. I'm not sure hockey's a sport, but... (laughs) Sorry, Canada. (laughs) Uh, to be a good athlete requires uh, more than just going on to the field, right? It's a completely new and different way of life. It's certainly a different way of life than what I live. Whatever takes place on the field is a result of training, of, 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 of careful dieting and, and study of film of your opponents, right? And forming bonds with your teammates, It's not enough to simply have knowledge of the sport and how to play. It's not enough to simply show up for the game, It takes constant and consistent and deliberate preparation to be good. Being a good musician is not simply about what you do on the stage during your performance. It's living a life that looks different than other lives. The performance that everyone sees is a result of countless hours of practice and and drills, running through scales and and cleaning your instrument, uh, taking care of it, restringing it, tuning it, taking care of your voice and playing with others so that you know how to play in harmony. Being a good artist isn't just walking up to a canvas and blurting out a masterpiece. It doesn't happen that way. A good artist studies good art. They work with good artists. They know their craft. They hone their craft. They spend hours working at it, slaving over it, right? They even come to understand the world in a different way. They see things differently. They begin to see beauty that's hidden in plain sight, things that you and I just don't see. They see it, and they're able to draw the truth and the beauty out of it. Whatever it is, a good actor, teacher, pastor, whatever, if you want to be good, A good anything is only good because they have prepared for the moment that demands that they prove that they are good whatever it is. You're not just good at stuff. You prepare to be good. You prepare to be better. And so too, a good life, a better life, the one that we all desire, does not simply come by accident. We don't stumble into it. Instead, it is something that we pursue purposefully. 
So when we're talking about practice, we're talking about the things that we do consistently over time that form and shape our lives. And if they are the intentional things, the things that we are choosing, they lead, hopefully, to that better life. But if we are doing things consistently over time and we're not intentional about them, we can find that we get sidetracked, that we're wandering down this wider path that does not necessarily lead to life. So things that we do consistently over time, it's our way of life. And Jesus talks about this in our scripture, that there are two ways to go, two directions. You can see it's very similar to the imagery from Psalm 1. But where Psalm 1 talks about being planted, Jesus talks about direction. Jesus talks about moving in different ways and in different directions. And Jesus sets this dichotomy uh, with a little more obvious irony, right? There's the wide road that everybody sees. It appears to be easy. You would think that this is this one everybody can go down. It's going to be the easy one. The gate is wide. Everybody fits through, right? It looks like the easier path. It's the more obvious path. And yet... It is not the path that leads to life. Instead, there is this narrow path that is not always as obvious. It goes through a narrow gate. It's harder. It is harder to travel down. And this is the one that leads to life. These words come uh, at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew, it's chapter 5, 6, and 7. At the end of this sermon where Jesus is, is talking about what it looks like. He's talking extensively of what it looks like to live the better life. Teaching things like generosity and, and how not to worry. And uh, how to love and care for one another. How to pray and how to forgive and how to know and love and honor God. He's teaching about all these things. And at the end, Jesus calls those who hear his message to put his words into practice. Not to simply hear them and know them. These aren't just ideas about how to be more religious, right? These aren't just new things to ascribe to and say, yep, that's, I believe those things. And so that's, I call myself a Christian or a religious person or whatever. What Jesus is doing is trying to teach us what it means to be fully human. To be fully human and to help us discover a a relationship with God, the creator and sustainer of life, right? The source of life. To create a relationship with God so that we might experience transformation in our lives into the image in which we were supposed to be created. The ideal image. The image of God. It's what it means to be fully human. Human. Jesus is saying something like this. The better life is created by doing the things I teach. Not as laws or rules, but as a new way of life. It's a way of life. Jesus is uh, trying to engage us in the truth about what life is all about. And as we do that, our practices, hopefully, will help remind us of those truths about who God is, how we should live, And as we do, we end up rehearsing those truths and reinforcing them and then reenacting them in the world. So as we practice these truths, they not only become solidified in our hearts, but they begin to pour out into the way that we live. Now, my guess is that so far, I haven't said anything new. This is stuff you already know, right? You're thinking to yourself about now, like, why did I even come here? Like, I know all this stuff already. Duh, like you have to practice things if you want to get good at things. Duh, Jesus taught us a better way to live, right? We all know this. It all makes sense. And yet, I would venture a guess that we all might agree that though we know that stuff, 
It doesn't make it easy. It's still really hard to do. Why is that? You would think that if we knew that the better life is doing the things that Jesus taught us to do and that we need to practice that regularly in our lives, you would think if we knew all that and that leads to a better life, then no matter how difficult it is, you would think we would do it anyways, right? It wouldn't wouldn't be so hard for us to decide to pursue that. This is why Jesus calls it the narrow road. Because while we want what it promises, it's not easy to find. It's not easy to travel down. It's difficult. And it's not difficult because Jesus is just a jerk and decided to make it difficult. Right? Jesus is like, watch this. People want to live a better life. We're just going to make it as tough as possible. See if they really want it. Right? Like that's That's not what Jesus is up to here. What Jesus is doing is, is simply being observant and saying that there is a way to true life, the way you were meant to live, the way God designed you to live. And as it turns out, there's so much in this world that promises that better, that looks so much easier, and, and it promises so much more. And it's so easy to find ourselves on that road, but it is not the road that leads to life. It is this other road that seems less obvious and might at times feel more difficult, but you will find as you travel down that road that you are walking toward real life. I want to suggest three truths about spiritual practice that might shed light on, on this for us. The first is this, that spiritual growth needs consistent practice. Consistent practice. Consistency is the key to sustained growth, and inconsistency is a recipe for stagnant growth, right? Like it, it's not going anywhere. It might plateau. Inconsistency can start to creep in when everything seems to be going well. When life is good, right? When if, if you uh, are a basketball player and you have trained and you have worked and, and you feel like you've gotten to a place and you start playing in games and you feel like you are better than everybody else and you feel like, I don't need to practice quite as much anymore because I got this thing figured out. Missing one, maybe two practices, times of training, won't severely hinder your performance or your skill, but over time, if practice and training is neglected, you might find yourself not as good as you once were, and suddenly everybody else seems to be getting better. Pastor David says in his sermon this week about this, that uh, without practice, we drift we stop practicing things, we begin to drift, to distance ourselves from that which we hope to be. We can start to feel distant. It's like any relationship that we have in our lives. If we don't regularly draw near to that person, practice things that bring us near to them, whether it's calling them on the phone or visiting them regularly or having good, open, honest dialogue with them, when we don't do that, we naturally drift apart. No matter how close our physical proximity might actually be, our relational proximity might be further and further away. And pretty soon, if we neglect those practices, if we feel like everything's going good, that belief that we had about how God is good and God is near us and God is for us 
can start to feel like God is distant and disinterested and you're all alone. And when we find times of, of difficulty or when life gets a little tougher and we have forgotten, we have grown distant, we have drifted away from God and God feels distant and disinterested and we feel like we have to deal with this trouble and this struggle all by ourselves because God isn't there. Instead, as we continually draw near to God, consistent commitment to pursue God's presence, to live in ways that reflected Jesus' way, we were reminded of who God is as a God who is good and who is for us and who loves us and who we are, God's children, and that what that means for our lives and our world. And God is with us always. The second thing is this, that spiritual growth needs deliberate practice. We don't grow on accident. We grow on purpose. One of my favorite movies uh, is the blockbuster hit, Hitch. You can judge. It's okay. It's what ifs. In that movie, uh, Will Smith's character, uh, Alex Hitchin gives, Hitchens, gives his clients this advice always. He says, start every day as if it were on purpose. Deliberate practice is what we need uh, for, for growth. When we give what is most important to us, that which is left over, we often find that we have nothing left to give them at the end of the day. So if something is important to us, we give it what we have first so that we can give it our best. For example, my family is very important to me. Are you surprised to hear that? No, <laughs> hopefully not. My family is very important to me. But if I do not intentionally make time for them, set aside time, allocate time for them, then a very busy life, life that is filled with school and with ministry and, and hobbies and activities, if I don't intentionally set aside time for them first, then what ends up happening is I hope that there is enough energy and time that I can, left over, that I can give them. And you can guess what happens. At the end of the day, at the end of the week, there's nothing left. Because it's all been given away already. I have nothing left to give. I'm tired and I'm, 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 I'm short and I'm, 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 you know, I just, I don't want to be around people. I don't have any energy to give. I'm not playful. I'm not creative. I'm not anything. Because I've given it away already. And the same is true of our time with God. If we hope to give God what we have left over when all the urgent things in our life are over with, then we often find ourselves in a place searching for that time because we no longer have it. So finding these deliberate moments where we can give to God first of ourselves this takes place all over our lives. We, we produce a resource here called The First 15. Many of you are subscribed to that. It's a daily scripture and devotional guide that will come in your email. Uh, and that way, every day, whenever you wake up, the first 15 minutes of your life can be given to the truth of God. We get to be in God's presence. Our lives are directed toward God at the very beginning of our day, whenever that starts. And when we do that, especially when we do that consistently over time, but when we do that, intentionally starting our day with God, what we find is that we are more likely to find God throughout our day, 
even if we're not really looking. When our lives are directed toward God, when we start our day directing ourselves and our attention and our focus toward God, we might find the potential for us to see God throughout our day to be much greater. This is true in all aspects of our spiritual practice. It's true in our giving, in our generosity. It's something that we do as we give, we do it first. My wife and I, as part of our spiritual practice, we we do what's called the tithe, which is a, a biblical principle of giving the first 10% of your income over to God and God's work in the world. Our first 10%, that's what the, on our budget, when you, our spreadsheet's the very first thing that's up there is our tithe. And we even set it up to give automatically to the church because we just, it's something that we want to happen right off the top, very first. Something we do as a sign of faith and trust in God, but it's also something we do to practice the principle of contentment in our lives. That stuff and buying things are, are, are not what ultimately is going to make our life better. It's not what's going to make our life good or happy. And so we give that first 10% away, and then we begin to look at the other 90% so much differently than we had before. We begin to see our whole lives as about creating margin so that we can give and be generous and free to do that in ways that we couldn't before if 100% of our income was used to uh, attain the better life, right? These are things, we're not passing the plates again, don't worry. <laughs> but being, being deliberate and intentional about putting God first allows us to actually put God first and not hope that there is something left over for us to give God. Number three, spiritual growth needs constant practice. The biggest barriers to transformation and growth is impatience. We are so impatient today. We don't have to wait for anything. Back in December, uh, I was getting ready to go to India with the church uh, to, to be there with Zoe Ministry. And so I had to go to the doctor and get like shots and checkups and all that stuff. And I stepped onto the scale there at the doctor and I looked at a number and I was shocked at the number that I saw. I had never seen it before in my life. <laughs> I was like, what is this? Is there something wrong with this scale? Do I need to take my shoes? I didn't take my shoes off. That's what it is. <laughs> they weigh like 100 pounds. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I stood up there and I was like, okay, like, it's that time. Like, you're not a kid anymore. You can't just eat whatever you want and, and, and it all just disappears magically, right? Like, it's, it's not that way. And so I decided it was time to change my diet and drop a few LBs, right? And so I, man, that next day I was like, it's time. I'm going to portion control. I'm going to eat healthier. And so I ate healthy a whole day. <laughs> and I woke up the next morning and I stood on the scale and I was like, What? It's the exact same number. Two of my meals were salads yesterday. Like, what's the deal with this? Transformation is gradual. It takes time. It's a slow process. And that stinks. Because I don't want to wait. I don't like slow. I like immediate. I want results now. So much of what we, we see in life, does, doesn't it prom You hear this all the time. It promises you. Like, you get the results now. You don't have to wait. Everybody else, it takes forever. It makes you wait. No, you can get it now, right? But true transformation is a gradual process. That's why so much of Scripture uh, uh, likens spiritual growth and development to agriculture. 
if you go out and plant a seed in the ground and, and good fertilized soil and you put some water on it and you walk in for an hour and walk out, you're going to be disappointed because it hasn't grown yet. It takes a while. Oak trees don't spring up overnight. They take time to grow. The truth is, though, that whatever we do to change, even the smallest steps, the smallest things that we start, will have an effect on us. But the better life that we seek is a lifetime pursuit. It's something that we will constantly be moving towards. It's kind of like walking toward a star, right? You never actually get to it, but you know you're moving in the right direction because it's right there in front of you. The, the life, the truth, the wisdom that is found in God is an infinite well from which we draw upon. It never ends, but it is constantly giving life to us. I want to end with these last two pieces of encouragement um, before we, we wrap up our time and then we move to a time of, of communion together. The first is this. It's easy to get discouraged and to feel discouraged and to give up. Especially when we feel like we've messed it up. Let's say we've been going on our spiritual disciplines and our practices for a while. We're starting to feel some effect and change. We're starting to feel God's presence. But then it's like we fall off the wagon. Some, some trouble enters our life or some, something changes in our schedule. We get busy. We get knocked off of our routine. And, and, and all of a sudden it feels like it's been months and we feel so distant and it's so discouraging and it, and it even discourages us from trying to get back up and go at it again to continue on in our journey. Or maybe some people have been avoiding starting the journey in the first place because you feel like somehow you're unworthy or, you know, that no, nobody knows, nobody's lived the life I've lived, nobody knows. I, I've just, I think I've totally messed this thing up. And I don't think there's any amount of spiritual practice in drawing nearer to God that really turns this thing around. The truth is that it's never too late. Though the past may already be written, can't be changed, that concrete is dried, but the future is still pliable, still malleable, still can be shaped and formed. It is full of possibilities and it is ready to be influenced by the things that we do intentionally that we do consistently and constantly over time into the future. Each day is a new opportunity to say yes to Jesus as Jesus calls on your life to come and follow every day. And secondly is this, spiritual practices are not about, uh, they are about yearning and not about earning. Spiritual practices are about yearning, not about earning. The grace of God is a gift to be received. God's love and presence is a gift to be received, not a prize that you are rewarded. That's really hard because our whole life is built upon like how we are rewarded for good things that we do, right? But no matter how hard you try, you cannot earn God's love. You cannot earn God's grace. And no matter how hard you try, you can't get rid of it either. God's grace is always there. The better life that we seek is not a reward for our good behavior. It's not something that once we've achieved enough good Christian points that we are then awarded the medal, right, of, of a good life. That's not how it works. So because of that, 
the power of spiritual practices, when we practice these things in our life, when we practice patience and when we practice kindness, when we, when we spend time in prayer and in scripture, when we practice these things, the power of spiritual practices is not in the technique. It's not in choosing the right devotional book. It's not even listening to the right pastor. The power of spiritual practices and the power of transformation is the Holy Spirit at work in you. When we practice these things, we open ourselves up to God's spirit and God's transformative power in us. We cannot choose and we cannot pick the right technique. We cannot earn it. We cannot control this. God just gives. What we can do is open ourselves up to it. When we engage in spiritual practices, we do so as a way to draw nearer to God. They're a way of satisfying that longing, that yearning that we have for God. And it sets the direction of our lives toward the example of Christ. And as we do, we are opened up. Our lives, our souls, our hearts are opened up to the work of the Spirit. As we are more and more revealed God's presence and God's love and God's grace. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love and presence with us. We pray that each and every day is a day committed to you, that our focus is on you, God, that our affections are drawn to you. And as we fill ourselves with you, God, with your love, your grace, the knowledge of you, that we practice each and every day living the life that you intended for all of us so that we are shaped and formed like clay, God, in the potter's hands into that better life that you desire for all of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.